Amen. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 11. Numbers, chapter 11. We are a week and a half away from Thanksgiving, a time when we as a country set aside to spend a day giving thanks to the Lord for what He has done. Or at least that's the premise behind it. Thanksgiving's turned into more of a day when we stuff ourselves and watch football. But the idea is that it ought to be a day that we set aside to give glory to God and thankful, thank Him for what He's done. Now, uh, Jack just gave us some, uh, uh, some lessons about what helps us to sing better, and he gave you some posture suggestions. I- I'm going to give you a quick suggestion, all right? This is what I want you to do uh, for me right now. I want everybody to lift your feet up off the ground. Now, if you're still standing, don't try this. But everybody lift your feet up off the ground, because here's why I want you to do that, all right? I'm about to step on some toes. And if they're on the ground, they're going to get on a little step on, all right? We're going to talk about being a whiner. Now, Jack said he couldn't find any hymns with that as the theme. Unfortunately, there's lots of Scripture with that as the theme. Tell me if you've heard of a, a guy like this before. This is actually from a book by John Ortberg, and it describes a man in his church that he says, will remain nameless to protect the guilty. Hank, as we'll call him, is a cranky guy. He does not smile easily, and when he does, the smile often has a cruel edge to it, coming at someone's expense. He has a knack for discovering islands of bad news and oceans of happiness. He would always find a cloud where others saw a silver lining. He rarely affirmed anyone. He operated on the assumption that if you compliment someone, it might lead to a swelled head. So he worked to make sure everyone stayed humble. He had a ministry of cranial downsizing. You know, it's amazing how many people have that ministry. Rusty Summerall's here, our director of missions for the National Baptist Association. Rusty, you've probably known some. I won't have you name names. His native tongue was complaint. He carried judgment and disapproval the way a prisoner carries ball and chain. Although he went to church his whole life, his life was never unshackled. A deacon once said to him, Hey, Hank, are you happy? And he said, Yeah. Well, tell your face, the deacon said, but far as anybody could tell, his face never did find out. Occasionally, Hank's joylessness, joylessness produced unintended joy for others. There was a period of time when his primary complaint centered around the music in the church. That is shocking. It's too loud, he protested to the staff, the deacons, the ushers, and innocent visitors who walked into the church. We finally took Hank aside and explained that complaining to complete strangers was not appropriate, and he would have to restrict his laments to a circle of intimate friends. We thought that was the end of it. But a few weeks later, a secretary buzzed me on the intercom to say an agent from OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, was here to see me. I'm here to check out a complaint, he said, as I tried to figure out who on staff would have called OSHA. He began to talk about decibel levels at airports and rock concerts. Excuse me, I said, are you sure this was somebody on staff? He goes, no, no, no. If anyone calls whether or not they work here, we're obligated to investigate. Suddenly the light dawned. Hank had called OSHA and complained that the music was too loud, and they sent a federal agent to check it out. By this time, the rest of the staff had gathered, and the man from OSHA had 
I said, we don't mean to make light of this, but nothing like this has ever happened. He said, don't apologize. Do you have any idea how much ridicule I've taken for going to shut a church down? Now, here's where the poignant part comes. Sometimes Hank's joyness ended in comedy, but more often it produced sadness. His children didn't know him. His son had a wonderful story about how he met a wife at a dance, but he never told his father because his dad didn't approve of dancing. Hank could not effectively love his wife or children or people outside his family. He was easily irritated. He had little use for the poor, a casual contempt for those whose accent or skig pigment differed from his own. Whatever capacity he once might have had for joy or wonder or gratitude faded away. He critiqued and judged and complained, and his soul got a little smaller each year. But what was even more troubling than his lack of change was the fact that nobody was surprised by it. It was as if everyone expected that his soul would remain withered and sour year after year, decade after decade. We're going to talk today out of Numbers chapter 11 about the issue of criticism and complaining and general discouragement. Now, we're moving towards a day when, as a nation, we're supposed to celebrate, but it is true more now than ever, at least by my kind of uh, belief and what I sense, that we live in a culture of complaint more than we ever have. I mean, there are people that make millions doing nothing but complaining. And what we have to understand is that being a complainer, being a whiner, is as far away from God's will as it can be. Now, we are good at recognizing this in other people. I am an expert at recognizing when my children are whining. And here's the thing. The longer I'm a parent, the shorter my fuse gets on the whining. Amen? Grandparents don't understand that because theirs lengthens again at some point. Or they just give in and give them what they want. But God's people are to be a people who are not characterized by complaint. And here's what I want to do today. It's going to be a very straightforward sermon. There's not going to be a lot of illustrations or humor or any of that. We're going to look straight at what Scripture tells us. The consequences of criticism, the consequences of complaint is in the life of God's people. And here's what I want you to to do for me today. This is what I've done all week. Because it's easy to notice in other people when they're whining or when they're complaining. It's harder to notice in ourselves. And here's what happens. Even in those areas where we realize we're whining or complaining, when we start feeling that kind of... um, When the Lord begins to work in our heart about it, the easiest thing to do is to rationalize it. But the music is too loud. But they really should be doing that. But He shouldn't have said that. But I wish it really was like this. Now, as a society, we have come up with words to kind of lessen what we say about people who have that kind of attitude all the time. Well, that's just how they are. He's, he's really sweet most of the time. He, he just shoots straight. Tells it like it is. But Scripture teaches that our lives ought to be characterized by gratitude and thankfulness, not by complaint and concern. 
Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And I want to back up just for a moment because right before that is this great moment when the, the people of Israel are journeying and they're starting out. You remember Numbers is right in that set of books where we follow the nation of Israel, the children of God, as they are moving towards the promised land. Moses is still leading them. They're still on their way. Things are happening like they want them to happen or, or they should be happening. Let me say it that way because many of them don't like it. And we see in chapter 10, verse 35, the ark sets out and Moses would say, Arise, Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and those who hate you flee from your presence. When he came to rest, he would say, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. The idea here is they are moving, and as they're moving, God is with them. The ark symbolizes that. They are on a mission. They have a purpose. They have a reality that they are free people. They have been let free from bondage, from slavery. It is one of the greatest moments in the history of this nation, and they are setting forth to see what God is going to do for them. And verse 11 says, Now the people began rejoicing. Is that what it says? Now the people began celebrating. What does it say? They began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. Most people see chapter 11, these first three verses, being kind of a summary statement for the general discontent that was in the camp. And what happens over the next few chapters is that they will build cases of where this complaining is evident. But chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, show the basic kind of formula. The people get mad, they complain, God judges, they name the place after the way God judges, and then they move on where they complain again. It says the people began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. When the Lord heard, His anger burned. Here's the first thing that we want to take notice of today, and that is whiners make God angry. You see, it's not just a small little thing or it's just a nuisance or that if we're complaining continually or our attitude is that of complaint or whining that for somehow it's just something we push off to the side or that's just how they are or we're not worried about that or someday they'll come around or you just have to deal with them. The idea is that if you are somebody that's consistently whining before God, you make God angry. And there are fewer things, there are very few things in life I want to do less than make God angry. Amen? I mean, on my list of things I want to do, that is nowhere to be found. And I would use a lesser word here if there were a lesser word used in the Scripture. But the Scripture says here, when the Lord heard their complaint, which, by the way, the Lord hears when we complain, right? little girl was with her dad at a restaurant and he prayed and he thanked God for the food and all that he had provided. And he was so grateful to be there with his family and to be able to enjoy this meal together. And then he finished praying and the food came out and the potatoes weren't quite right and the meat wasn't cooked well. He couldn't even eat the peas. And the little girl said, Dad, let me ask you a question. you think God heard you when you gave thanks early? He goes, absolutely. Do you think God heard you when you just complained about everything on your plate? And he said, oh, I guess he hears everything. And she said, well, which one did he believe? God hears our complaints. Here's the, the worst thing, really, for us when it comes to complaining, is he knows the intentions and the attitudes of our heart. 
And it says here that when the whining came to his ears, his anger burned. Now, if it was just he got angry and then he moved on, we could say, well, they, they, kind, of, they kind of dodged a bullet there. But it doesn't say that. And the fire from the Lord blazed among them and consumed the outskirts of the camp. The fire from the Lord blazed among them and consumed the outskirts of the camp. The Lord does not let their complaint go without exercising judgment. One of the things that has happened in the United States in general, in churches in America as well, is as we've fallen on difficult times, be that economically or even like the Southern Baptist Convention where baptisms aren't what they once were, is that our quest for answers from that has often led to criticizing and complaining more than seeking the Lord for new direction. This week, I'm going to spend some time at, in Hendersonville because the Tennessee Baptist Convention is there. And it always amazes me, now not all, but many of the men who are leading churches in the state of Tennessee, how negative they are about what's going on. Either statewide or their local congregation or among their peers or whatever. And I can't help but feel when I'm there, the Lord is never going to work in our midst if we are a denomination, a congregation, a group of people who see complaint and criticism as the basis of our discussion. And what we see here in Scripture is the Lord is merciful in this case. It's almost like He gives them a warning. Because notice where His anger burned. Where did it burn? On the outskirts of the camp. On the outlying areas. He didn't come down in the middle. He didn't send something right down to the middle. It's like He's saying, listen, don't be complainers. Stop being a whiner and I will move forward with you. Verse 2, the people cried out to Moses. He prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. Notice that they really are only concerned when there's imminent danger they can see. So the place was named Tibera because the Lord's fire had blazed among them. Verse 4, here's the second thing we'll see. Not only does, do whiners make God angry, but secondly, whiners forget God's goodness in the past. Verse 4 says this, Contemptible people, or the rabble, or the mixed multitude. The understanding there, and this is important for us to understand, the understanding there is that there were some people that had come with them from Egypt, not True Jews, not true people of God that had come with them. The the word mixed people there means a mixture of Jews and Gentiles or a mixture of God's people and those that aren't. And the idea here is that those who weren't God's people were the ones stirring up God's people. Contemptible people among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites cried it again and again, Who will feed us meat? A very modern translation of that would be, where's the beef? We remember, now they didn't have beef, but we remember the free fish we ate in Egypt. Along with the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. Now, remind me real quickly. 
What was their status in Egypt? They were slaves, right? Now, did they get food for free? Well, they worked for it because they worked without pay. Right? I mean, we see that that place where Pharaoh comes and says, they're going to have to work harder, they're going to have to make more bricks, their quota's been increased, we're not, going to, we're not going to pay them, we're not going to give them any extra stuff. This is who they are. But they are longing for the good old days. Here's the reality. Most of the time, the good old days aren't nearly as good as we remember them. And what we fail to see when we long for the past is the way God has brought us to the present. And what He says to them here is this. Listen, these people are saying, listen, we we had meat over in Egypt. We had fish. All we've got now is this manna. I mean, what about when we had cucumbers and leeks and onions and garlic and... All that stuff. Remember those feasts we used to have after working 14 hours a day for no pay? You remember when they would beat us because we weren't working hard enough, but at least we had some fish. To say we want to go back to Egypt is to deny what God did in the Passover as important. To say we want to go back denies what God has done. Why hunters forget God's goodness in the past? Here's the third thing. Winers do not appreciate God's provisions in the present. Verse 7. The manna resembled coriander seed. And its appearance was that like that of bedelium. The people walked around and gathered it. They ground it on a pair of grinding stones or crushed it in a mortar, then boiled it in a cooking pot and shaped it into cakes. It tasted like a pastry cooked with the finest oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. What these people were failing to recognize is that in a place of absolute desolation, God was providing for them on a daily basis. Now, I cannot describe fully what manna is. And neither could they. Because the name of manna is, what is it? It's what manna literally means. And so they went out in the morning and they said, what's for breakfast? What is it for breakfast? And we've got, what is it for lunch? And what is it for dinner? Now, here's the thing that happens sometimes when we go to Brazil. Is by day six or seven... People get tired of rice and beans. We have rice and beans for breakfast. I mean, for lunch. We don't have a breakfast. We do have hard cheese and ham for breakfast. But rice and beans for lunch, beans and rice for supper. Every day. Now, there are other things there besides that. But by day five or six, I'll notice people going in there and they'll walk down the little buffet we have of food and they'll come to the table and I will notice there are no rice nor beans on their plates. And they will say to me, I've had enough. I can't eat rice and beans every day. Here's the interesting thing. The people with whom we work in Brazil, the poor people with which we minister, have rice and beans every day of their life. And you know what I never hear? 
I'm tired of rice and beans. Because they're just thankful there's something for them to eat. The Israelites are like those people who are having rice and beans every day, but they're unlike them in the fact that they're not happy with it. Now, here's what their complaints did. Not only did it deny the work of God in the past, it denied the work of God in the present. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know what issues have arisen. I don't know what problems you have. I don't know what family things are going on, financial things are happening. I don't know what your business is like. I don't know what your school is like. I don't know what anything is like necessarily in your life. But I can tell you right now that by the fact that you are sitting in this room, worshiping in this place, living in this country, you are among the most blessed people in the world. Amen? And when we begin to complain about things in our life, we're denying what God is doing in the present. There are days when... uh, when I go home in the afternoon or in the evening, or it's been a long day with lots happening, and there are moments when just in my human nature and in myself, I I just sit down and think, man, that has been a rough day. And sometimes it's because of things that have happened that I want to complain about. And just to be honest, sometimes as pastors, it's because I've been hit with complaints from every angle. And I'll sit down at night... And I want to, in some ways, just sit there and fume. And my little girl walks in the room and just says, Daddy. And my fuming is gone. As I look on her face, and I look at the face of my kids, and we sit down to supper, and I look at the house in which we live, and the cars in which we drive, and the place we get to live, and the church that I get to be a part of, and the pastor, I can't help but be thankful to the Lord for the work He's doing in the present. Whiners don't appreciate that. They don't appreciate what's happening now. They're always worried about what used to be or what should be instead of how great what is, is. Here's the fourth thing. Whiners make other people miserable. I heard a squelched amen there. You don't have to squelch it. Amen. Whiners make other people miserable. Look at what Moses says. Now, Moses is a guy that is... I mean, he took some convincing, didn't he? He didn't just jump at the chance to be God's man. God said, Moses, I need you to do this. And Moses said, God, I really don't want to do that. I mean, I can't speak. I mean... Who am I going to tell him to send to me? I think part of the reason Moses didn't go, want to go, we talked about this in our Sunday school class last week, is he was just comfortable where he was. I found a good woman. We've got a family. I'm tending sheep. I've been out here for 40 years. This is kind of my life. God, I don't want to do this. And God gradually convinces him to go. And he goes back and he does the miraculous works before Pharaoh. He is on the front lines of seeing God do the most miraculous things he has done since the dawn of creation. 
And as he's there, he's watching as Pharaoh's mind is turned and sometimes hardened. And then he finally lets them go. And he is overwhelmed with the task. But he goes and he spends time with the Lord. And his face is shining when he comes down because the presence of God is so evident in his life. He has been to the mountaintop, literally. And he comes down. And we get to chapter 11 of Numbers and he is just beat down. Verse 10 says, Moses heard the people family after family. You get the image that Moses is walking through the camp and every family he comes across is murmuring, complaining, crying at the entrance of their tent. It says the Lord was very angry and Moses was also provoked. It's almost like Moses kind of says, Lord, you're mad, I'm mad too. Let me tell you about it. Let me just say this, just real quickly. Scripture doesn't say that we should never get upset. In fact, if you look at the men and women of God throughout Scripture, they get upset. The difference is, Scripture says we take our complaint to the Lord and to Him directly. Job took his complaint where? To the Lord. Moses takes his complaint to the Lord. David in the Psalms takes his complaint where? To the Lord. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is not really excited about what's going to happen. What does He do? He takes it to the Lord. The point is we don't take it to one another and spread it like a disease among the people. We take it to the Lord. The Lord was very angry. He's not just angry now. He's very angry. And Moses was also provoked. Literally that says, and what was happening was evil in the eyes of Moses. So Moses asked the Lord, Why have you brought such trouble on your servant? Why are you angry with me? Why do you burden me with all these people? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth so you could tell me? Carry them at your breast as a nursing woman carries a baby to the land you swore to give their fathers? Where can I get meat to give all these people? They're crying to me. Give us meat to eat. I can't carry them by myself. They are too much for me. If you're going to treat me like this... Kill me right now. You think he's upset? You think he's upset? Yes. If you are pleased with me, don't let me see my misery anymore. If you're pleased, get me out of here. Here are some things that whining people, whiners do to other people. First of all, they're a pain to other people. When Moses says, why have you brought such trouble on your servant? Why are you so angry with me? The idea there, that trouble that on your servant, it is literally like physical pain. It is like emotional anguish. That it is something that is causing me problems. It is like I have a continual ache because of what these people are complaining about. Then he says that... Whiners make people or make themselves a burden to other people. Why do you burden me with all these people? You almost get the sense he says, God, it was so much better when it was just you and me. On that mountaintop, that was unbelievable. When it was me and Aaron facing off against the people of Egypt, I love that. Why do I have to have all these people now? He says they're a burden, then he says they're a weight. Why do you burden me? Why don't you tell me to carry them? They're weighing me down. They're worrying me. 
Not only do miserable, whining people become a pain and a burden and a weight, they become a worry and they bring complete and utter discouragement to those around them. Moses says, I can't carry them by myself. They're too much. Lord, if this is the way that I've got the rest of my life, just kill me now. I don't want to be here anymore. We're not going to read it, but I love the rest of the story. It's one of my favorite stories. It leads to one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture, and I'll read that for you in a minute. But God says, and I think it's in... I think it's because of his relationship with Moses, not because of the Israelite people, and for the sake of his own name. He says, okay, I'll give them meat. I'm not happy about it. You get some people together. One of the things he does is he says, you're right, Moses, it's too much burden for you to bear alone. I want you to appoint some people to take the brunt of the criticism. It's too much for you. So I agree, we're going to get you some help, Moses. We're going to get some people out there, and you can't do this without me, and I'm going to walk you with you through it. But he also tells them, listen to this. Get everybody ready, consecrate them, because they are going to have meat. And he says, my arm is not too short to help. Remember, he reminds Moses in the midst of this, I am powerful enough, I am strong enough, I am able enough to do things that you cannot believe. Don't forget what I just did. Don't forget what I'm doing. I can accomplish anything. In fact, he tells them, and this is a little side note, and then we'll close up. He said, tell the people, the Lord will give you meat and you will eat. In verse 19, you will eat not for one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes nauseating to you. He says, you want meat? You'll get meat. And it's going to be nauseating. You're going to have so much meat. By day ten, you're going to say, we don't want any more meat. Too bad. You got meat for a month. He says, this is the reason. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. And have cried to Him, why did we ever leave Egypt? And here's what I want to close with that most of us don't realize. What He tells them is living a life of complaint is rejecting the Lord. Now the people there probably said, oh, we, said, oh, we just talked about some things. We were just being realist. We were just telling it like it really... We were just being honest about our situation. We're not rejecting you, Lord. God says, no. Your complaint is your rejection. You see, I think that in our culture, we're just around criticism and complaint so much that we just naturally think that's part of life. That's just how it is. But as clearly as you can state it in a story in Scripture, God says that when you complain, when your life is filled with criticism and complaint, then your life is rejecting the Lord and His work. And you get the sense that in the midst of His anger, there's also the semblance of a broken heart. He says... Now, you've rejected me when you say, we would rather just go back to the way life was before we had you. We just wish it would go back to like it used to be. A little later in Scripture, you can look at this later today, in Psalm 78, 
the psalmist says to the people he's with then, he says, don't let us be like the Israelites, like our forefathers, like the generations before us, who they forgot what he did. He worked wonders in their sights in the land of Egypt. He split the sea, brought them across. He led them with a cloud by day and light by night. He split rocks in the wilderness, gave them drink. He brought streams out of stone and made water flow like rivers. But they continued to sin against Him, rebelling in the desert. They deliberately tested God, demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Is God able to provide food? Look, He struck the rock and water gushed out. But can He also provide bread or furnish meat? Therefore the Lord heard and became furious because they did not believe God or rely on His salvation. He rained manna on them. He gave them grain for heaven. People ate the bread of angels. He sent them abundant supply. He made the east wind blow and He drove the south wind by His might. He rained meat on them like dust and winged birds like the sand of the seas. He made fall in His camp all around His tent. They ate and were completely satisfied, for He gave them what they craved. Before they had satisfied their desire, while the food was still in their mouth, God's anger flared against them because they kept sinning and did not believe His wonderful works. Church, I want to be a pastor and a follower of Jesus Christ who lives my life giving thanks for all that He has done. I want to be part of a congregation where we continually give praise and adoration and thankfulness to God for all that He has done. I'm going to be honest. This week I've searched my own heart and my own life and I've asked the Lord, what are those areas of my life where I have been complaining or had a complaining spirit about? And I've asked the Lord to change my heart. I want to ask you the same thing. and Let me give you a little piece of advice from my week. It was often those things that I fought back and tried to rationalize or minimalize that were the most prevalent in my life. And so this morning, if the Lord is saying, you really need to watch how you're speaking about or what you're thinking about this subject, and you immediately go, oh, no, no. That's, there are people much worse than me on that. Or, but, but somebody's got to tell them. Somebody's got to say it. Instead of asking the Lord to give you an attitude of gratitude towards Him. 